Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to your seat at the Cool Kids table. This is episode number 300 of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I am so excited that we have hit this milestone. I don't know about you, but I like it in my business when I can reach milestones that a lot of people quit before they get to. They say that most podcasts die somewhere around 10 episodes, I think I heard the other day. They have what's called pod fade. People start off doing a show and life steps in and they get busy and then they do an occasional show and then it's once in a while and less than once a month. And I made the the commitment when I started this a little over three years ago that I was going to do my best to release this show twice a week. Now, I've missed a few times, but we have made it to the golden 300th episode. Now, I spent a lot of time thinking, what do I want to do? How do I want to serve my friends who listen to this show with episode number 300? And I thought, you know what? I'm a Texan. And in Texas, you dance with the one who brung you. So I decided to go all the way back into the archives to episode number one, and of course, not replay episode number one, because the world has changed. My guest has changed. The show has changed a lot in the last three years, but I decided I would go back to my original guest and bring him back and find out about the changes of what he's gone through. And I think you're going to be really excited because my friend Brian Manel, he and I met when we were in seventh grade in Los Angeles. And now, many, many years later, we both live in Austin, Texas. We live about a mile apart. Uh, our kids have gone to the same schools. My older daughter has babysat for his children. And uh, we're still friends, even a billion years later, uh, what seems like multiple lifetimes down the road. And Brian is a serial entrepreneur. He has founded many, many companies. He's done a lot of things. And this episode is full of just value that Brian brings to people who want to be entrepreneurs. If, if you have this desire, maybe you already are an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or you're a business leader or you feel that your ladder's against the wrong wall and you're looking for ways to reinvent yourself, this is going to be an episode you're going to want to pay close attention to. So I'm really, really excited about episode number 300. I hope you are, and I hope that uh, you will reach out to me and to Brian and let us know what you think of this show. So I had pre-recorded this, so I'm doing a little intro right now. So get ready for episode number 300 of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Welcome back to the show, Brian Manel. Thank you for having me again. Hey, so three years ago, I can't believe that there's been now 300 episodes. And as I was thinking about what do I want to do for episode number 300, everybody had suggestions. They were like, go out and get a celebrity, do all these things. But as a Texan, I believe you dance with the one who brung you. And my first episode, Brian, you were my first guest. So happy to have had the privilege of being number one. That's right. Well, the other problem with that was I didn't have the audio set up right. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm sure that I was very cardboard as an interviewer. And so I wanted to give you the chance to come back on the show now that the show has gotten really good because after 300 episodes, I've sort of learned some things. So three years ago, you were the CEO of a local company. Uh, You've sold that company. What's happened in your life? What's the journey been like the last three years? 
Well, uh, after we sold the company, I spent a year working for the folks that acquired us to help them integrate the technology into what they were doing and get all the value out of it that they had hoped to uh, to get. Uh, and that was a fun experience. I got to work at home because they were based in Boston. So uh, my uh, my dog was like my companion, just sat by my feet every day while I worked. That was kind of fun. Uh, and then um, I helped a uh, still company I still work with that helps uh other entrepreneurs do their investor relations. And I've just been trying to help a few companies here in Austin, uh, some technology companies, uh, get off the ground, get going, get started, and help some other entrepreneurs be successful in their businesses. So, of course, Mahana, the company you were with when we did the interview three years ago, wasn't your first venture. If I'm doing my math right, you've been a serial entrepreneur for 26 years. Just one word away from serial killer. <laughs> so, so you were working back 26 years ago with Anderson Consulting, and one day you decided, I don't want to work here anymore. So what was sort of your journey to leave the corporate world and start this series of companies that you've started and worked for over the years? Well, like when I left Anderson, it was really, uh, you know, you look at the world and, and your situation and, and you think, you know, if I was doing a company like this, doing this whole thing, I could do it differently and better. And here's how I would do it. So you just kind of got to go do it, right? So it was a chance to build things the way I wanted to do it for a change. And uh, and that was great um, because client server, like three-tier client server computing was the rage back then. And so started this company that rode that wave and, and sold it. Um, and then later it was the internet in 97, you know, uh, started that company to take advantage of internet technologies and took the company public. So it's always like, what's the cool new thing, um, that, uh, interests me from a technology perspective. So one of the things that people may not know about Brian Manel is he actually went to high school with somebody who is quite interesting. Who was that, Brian? That would be you, Mr. Tom Singer. Yeah, so Brian and I went to high school together in Southern California, and over the years, through uh, just a series of moves, we both ended up in Austin, Texas. I'm actually doing this interview from Brian's media room in his house, which is about four blocks away from where I live. But if we went way back, you know, even before 26 years ago when you started your first company, when we go back to like middle school, you were already interested in technology in the 70s before most people. I can remember calling you up saying, hey, a bunch of us are going to the mall. I think there's, you know, a bunch of other people there. There'll be some girls there. And you were like, no, I'm actually learning to code. Uh, what got you interested in technology as like a preteen? Um, well, you know, a good mutual friend of ours. Um, uh, his mother had bought an Apple II computer, and um, you know, we just played with that thing like crazy. And uh, and the junior high school that we went to, um, there was a group of parents that thought it would be a good idea maybe to get some Apple IIs for the school, and students could learn computing skills and, and things like that. But of course, our, our principal in his infinite wisdom uh, decided that computers were a passing fad, not something that they should invest any time or money in. And uh, that would be just a waste of energy. So there were no computers in junior high school until many years later. So I was actually thinking as you were talking about a group of parents who wanted to have computers in our middle school, I was thinking, I didn't know there were computers in our middle school, but it's good to know that because there weren't, not just because I was out, you know, doing something else. Yes, there were none. So in high school, there were a few. There was a computer lab with some IBM PCs. Um, there was one teacher who kind of knew something about the computers, um, but not a whole lot because I discovered that his password on the system was password and uh, found all the answers to all the tests that were there, you know, whatever. So it was, it was the early days, let's say. 
But but you got interested in this whole technology wave, and you realized, unlike uh, Principal Salter or whatever his name was, you realized that this was not a passing fad. What was it? What was it about that that made you observe that there's something to do with this technology? Um, you know, at first, it's a uh, it's kind of a fun thing, right? Like you write out instructions, and the computer does exactly what you tell it to do. Uh, sometimes. Unfortunately, it does do exactly what you told it to do, but not what you wanted it to do, but it does what you told it to do. Um, and so it's sort of a fun kind of creative thing in a way, right? Um, and then as, as for me, as I went on, I discovered that, you know, oh, uh, businesses actually use these tools to do business and check inventory and all sorts of things. So you take something that you already think is kind of cool and dorky and fun, and then you, you know, use it in a business context where people find it valuable, then it gets even more interesting, at least, at least for me. Well, and I can remember in high school, I was working in a restaurant and then a tuxedo shop to earn extra money. And if I remember correctly, you were doing computer where you were like the IT guy at 17 years old for, for a company in the area where we grew up. Yes, yeah, so I was like managing a database of for a manufacturing company, their bill of materials, all sorts of things. Uh, it was green screen, of course. You know, it was pretty ugly back then. But, um, but uh, yeah, it was super fun. And it was more fun than like, you know, I don't know, scooping ice cream or something. So fast forward to today. So you, you've owned and bought and sold a bunch of companies, and now you're consulting with some companies. But, but what are you doing? What are you looking forward to the future? What's, what's the next, next thing? What's, what's interesting to you now? Uh, the thing that uh, like I spend my spare time reading about these days is uh, where I think is the next shift. As I mentioned, uh, you know, for a while in the 90s, it was three-tier client server, and I had a company that, that worked on that. And then in 97, it was like internet um, now I research what I think is the next big thing, the next big paradigm shift, which is, uh, which is the blockchain and decentralized ledgers and everything else. So it's super, super interesting, I think. So blockchain is something that I've heard a lot about and I've read a little bit about. And of course, it's tied directly to a lot of the stuff around the cryptocurrency, the Bitcoin and, and things like that. But I don't really understand what is blockchain. I mean, it sounds like blocks and chains. I don't know. And I'm sure people listening are like, I've heard of that, but I don't know what it is. What is it and why is it interesting? And why is it something that, that people sort of with a future mind look, entrepreneurs who are looking to what's next, why is this something that, in your opinion, people should be watching? Yeah, so, and I just want to preface this by saying I'm a total noob at these things, but I read a lot and I find it super interesting. And, and I'll tell you the things I think that are interesting to me about it. Um, and uh, one uh, kind of canary in the coal mine, I think, is if you look at TED this year, the national TED Talks, um, for the first time ever, two of the talks were on blockchain. And I think next year, like five will be on blockchain and next year, maybe 25, right? So I think you'll see that uh, grow and increase. Um, but, uh, you know, the people, when people talk about Bitcoin, um, they get caught up. They think only about the currency, the cryptocurrency, and it's just skyrocketing in value. And, and that's interesting, and it's easy to understand. But the thing that's more interesting about it is all the underlying um, cryptography, the, ledger, the distributed ledger system, the mathematics around it is, is much more interesting um, because that applies to all sorts of areas, not just, uh, not just Bitcoin. So um, the thing I find interesting about it is the highly distributed nature of how it works. Um, I don't want to take up your podcast talking about how it kind of like works because it's a little bit complex, mostly like boring. But um, but the thing I find exciting about it is it's the way that it creates value and wealth is in a very distributed way. And in the last big 
uh, paradigm shift we had with sort of Web 2.0, um, value creation and wealth was very um, focused on the venture capitalists and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and the you know Sergey Brins of the world. And those folks built a whole lot of wealth for themselves because they were building um, you know monolithic you know, databases and systems that they own and controlled. And that's the exact opposite of how the blockchain works. The blockchain is massively distributed across thousands of computers um, and completely public and all out in the open. So nobody owns it, nobody controls it. Um, and so um, the people that will generate wealth from it will be the ones that help to improve it. And it could be a 17-year-old kid in Bolivia who um, makes some aspect of it better, more efficient, um, and then he gets rewarded with coins like Bitcoin as part of the work that he does. And as it grows in value, then his part of it grows in value. So it'll be a much more distributed uh, creation of wealth worldwide. Um, and that's sort of one of the aspects I think that's just going to be fascinating to watch. But it's like, Round zero. I mean, we're at the very, very, this is like when you got your first Netscape browser and you could view HTML pages, right? But nobody had yet invented like SSL and SMTP and FTP and like all those other protocols that people needed for it to function that we use today. Um, this is still like, that stuff hasn't been created yet. So it's ground zero. So it's going to be interesting to watch. So people who listen to this show regularly know that I always bring up the fact that I, I think entrepreneurs are observers, and I always ask people, like, who do they admire? And, and we might come back to that later. But you're bringing up a point that entrepreneurs are observers in a different way than I usually bring up in this podcast. And that is, you're seeing something in its infancy. You're not sure where it's going to go, but you've gotten excited about all this that's happening. How can people sort of start paying attention to trends, whether it's you know, the blockchain or its other trends, how can the regular person out there who maybe hasn't been doing this since they were 13 years old, because I've always, you know, I've hung out with you my whole life. I've always been amazed at the way your mind works. You always think at least one step ahead. Uh, and I know some people are two and three steps ahead of sort of where everything is. Is that something that people can learn? Can we learn to, to pay attention to what trends are out there and then start thinking, how do we monetize that? How do we get in on this trend? I think one way to think about it is uh, with anything that you read or see that's out there is to think about like what's what's the bigger story here? What's the bigger trend? What's the bigger issue, right? So as I mentioned with Bitcoin, that's very popular. Well, what's the underlying, what's the bigger thing? Well, it's the underlying technology behind it is the thing that's really interesting, right? So I think you just sort of have to always think about like what's the larger story here besides like, you know, this is sort of one thing. Uh, what does it really mean taken to a larger context? What does it really mean? What's going to look like down the road three to five years from now? So I think um, sometimes you have to go beyond the surface and kind of dig into the underlying, you know, what's what's interesting about this, I think, helps to figure that out. So for somebody who's not going to be an entrepreneur in cryptocurrency or, or things along that line, how does something like this new technology how does it impact the regular, you know, Joe who might just have a consulting business or might have a dry cleaner? I think even just sort of understanding and being aware of things, uh, right? Understand the trends before they happen. Um, and then, as I, you know, as we talked about before, um, knowing the underlying things, like what's really important about this, then you can figure out how to orient yourself towards what you do and your expertise, right? If you own a dry cleaning business, what's this going to mean to my business like down the road, right? And how? So um, I think pulling back that first layer, 
to get underneath it um, then gives you the power to then figure out what it means to me and what my interests are and what I do, no matter what industry you're in. So in addition to, you know, blockchain and, and cryptocurrency, what are some of the other trends that are happening in technology? Because when I think of Brian Manel, I think the, of you as a technology entrepreneur. So let's take this, you know, sort of micro focus into tech. You know, is there still opportunity for people who want to be entrepreneurs in the tech space, even though there might be some shifting? I mean, there's always opportunity, but um, one of the things that's really interesting, I think, is, as I read and observe what's going on, is, um, you know, the cost of computing power is getting cheaper and cheaper all the time, free in many instances. The cost of storage is getting cheaper and cheaper, free in many instances. The tools people use to write technology things and web things is free. Java is free. JavaScript free. All these tools free, right? So the cost to create these things is going down and down and down and, and approaching free. But at the same time, if you look at the news, um, the companies that are venture-backed in Silicon Valley are raising larger and larger rounds of money, which seems counterintuitive. Like, why do they need to raise that much money if all these tools and technology and computing power is like free or cheap? What is all that money for? So uh, one of the things I think is interesting is that, at least in technology, it's cheaper and easier to use the tech and do things with it, but it's getting more and more expensive to take it to market, right? To scale it up. Um, it's becoming uh, more expensive to you know, build the sales organization, to do the marketing, um, get through the noise out there, because um, there's just a proliferation of everything, right? So I, f I follow um, marketing technologies um, frequently. And in 2012, there was like 500 marketing technology companies out there. And a year later, there was like 1,000. And now there was like 7,500 different companies just in marketing technology. It's a little sliver of the technology world. And there's 7,500 companies in that space, right? So like there's just massive proliferation and it's harder to... Um, harder to stand out. And so I think that's where people use the money is to scale and penetrate markets and get um, advantage over people that uh, that aren't able to raise that kind of money. Um, it's a crazy world out there. So in 26 years of, of being an entrepreneur and having started a lot of companies, grown companies, sold companies, gone to work for existing companies, uh, been a consultant, what are you know the basic changes? What are some of the biggest changes, aside from the marketing stuff you just talked about? What are some of the other changes that entrepreneurs are seeing that maybe didn't exist or, or were just different 25 years ago? Um, I think one thing, at least in the technology world, and it's happening other, other places too, is there's more resources than ever to help build your company. There's more incubators. Um, there's more organized angel groups to help people with early stage capital. Um, you know, now with the web, the information is out there everywhere on every facet of growing your business. Um, so there's more resources and tools. Um, so it's been a great um, uh, sort of level the playing field. You know, anybody now has the information to go and do things. Um, and then so it's made it more competitive, I think, for, um, for ideas. Um, and so a lot of those things have changed over time. Um, but what's interesting, I think, is what's stayed the same, which is, uh, which is around people, right? So the people issues, finding talent and, and great people and working with them is still um, still the same as it always was. And, um, you know, one of the lessons we learned at, at Capital Factory and starting, you know, working with early stage companies, um, you know, we thought since we were all technologists and web people that we could help these companies with their web problems and landing pages. And should I use Ruby on Rails or Java? You know, we thought we would help them with all these things. And that's not where they had problems. Well, the problems were related to like people, like 
Hey, my co-founder is not pulling his weight. How do I deal with this? Hey, I you know made this deal with my aunt to give her five percent of our net profits for using her garage for three years. How do I get out of that deal? Right? Um, that's where they wanted help was around people issues and things like that. And uh, and interesting, like that has not changed much. Well, and you bring up an interesting thing with people. You earlier talked about there's more angel groups and there's more access to that. How important is it for an entrepreneur in a day where, you know, we're totally crazed with our gadgets and our social media and our clicks and our links and our likes and our follows? How important is it to network and build actual relationships face to face with people? Uh, is it more important, less important, the same as it's always been? Um, for the people that I talk to, and I think in my experience, too, um, when people talk about the blockbuster deal, the relationship they got that helped make the company, the investor they met that um, really got behind them, it's always been a relationship. Someone they knew, someone they met, someone they introduced to. Um, you know, uh, so it's um, I think probably more important than than ever. And the tools these days are much easier too between LinkedIn and social network. You know, to understand get in the head of someone you know if you have maybe a target dream investor oh this person is you know for me maybe someone who's working in in uh, in cryptography and cryptocurrency and blockchain like oh find this person i can go find code they wrote on github around blockchain stuff today that they checked in um as well as their social feeds and like whatever but like you can totally understand a lot about people before you go reach out and try to have a conversation and, and um, figure out like, hey, I'd like to talk to you and here's why I think it would be interesting to like talk. So there's more than ever to help do those such things, but um, the in-person is as important as ever, if not more important. So almost everybody who I ask that question of on the show, entrepreneurs who have solo businesses who are like me, they're a consultant or a speaker or an author to people who run multi-million dollar corporations always with only a couple of exceptions over 250 plus interviews have ever said anything different than what you just said. And yet when we talk to people out there, everybody's looking for that shortcut to be able to find a way to connect, whether it's a like, a link, a share or a follow. And what I try to tell people is these tools that we have are great because you can look up, you can find out where they went to school. You can save a lot of the small talk because you can get that information off of the internet. You can find out who you have in common, what charities they donate to, what things really get them going. But at the end of the day, you still have to sit down and, and make that real connection because even at the level of things you're doing, don't people still want to do business with people that they know they like and they trust? I mean, I know that's a cliche, but, but isn't there still something around that? Absolutely. I mean, uh, who else would you rather sort of work? I mean, you, um, you rely on them as your people in your network, right? So, um, uh, part of your own personal, uh, reputation is on the line in terms of people that you know and work with that are in your in your circle. So uh, I think I think it's true is more now than ever. So Brian, I have a couple more questions for you, but first I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. And let's face it. Everybody these days is starting a podcast. So I know some of you who are listening, you're thinking, wait, I want to start a podcast, but it's that technical issues. It's that, it's that editing. It's all the behind the scenes stuff that I worry about that I'll never get my podcast done. Call the people at Podfly Productions. In fact, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. Because I'll tell you, they're the best vendor I've ever worked with. And I have sent dozens of people to them and everybody calls me back and says thank you i never could have done my podcast if it wasn't for the people at podfly so go to podfly.net slash cool things 
So, Brian, as you know, because you've been on the show before, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what is the coolest thing you're doing these days with your business? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot right now. Um, you know, since I'm working with a couple different companies, um, you know, the, the and this is a cool thing for me personally, not something cool that I'm doing for my companies, but um, one of my clients um, works in the hardware space. And like, I'm a software guy, right? They actually have like a visible piece of hardware, the circuit boards, all sorts of stuff that they make. And so uh, it's been really fun to kind of learn about that world of hardware. And of course, hardware still has some software that controls the pieces of hardware. So there's still some software in it. But um, it's been fun to be like out of my element uh, and learn a little bit about um, how that world works of electronic devices uh, on the hardware side of things. Um, and even, you know, uh, you know, uh, screwing boards together and plugging stuff in and whatever. It's like not something I'm used to. And it's actually like kind of fun, strangely. So uh, that's the coolest thing for me right now is going on. So after 25 years on the software side, you're now learning the hardware. Exactly. So I always ask people who they admire in the world of entrepreneurship. And, and you know, the line I usually use, and we already talked about being an observer. I think that great entrepreneurs are observers. And we already talked about observing for ideas and for trends. But I love to ask the people who come on the show, who is someone, when you look out into the world of the sea, if you will, of entrepreneurs, there's a, there's a lot of boats out there on the sea of entrepreneurship. Who is it that you look at and say, wow, that person, they're really doing something cool? Um... I don't know. There's there's so many high profile, interesting people out there that everyone follows and looks up to, and, and those sorts of things. Um, and to look up to them and think that they're cool uh, has a certain amount of um, you know. If you do research on survivor bias, right? It's like you see them; they have been the survivors. They got lucky. They had a great deal. They you know the Mark Cubans of the world like did fantastic things, um, and they're it's great to admire them. But uh, I think, and I don't have an exact name for you, but I think, you know, the type of person that I admire is someone maybe who has had the opposite, right? Who has just beat the head against the wall against all odds and keeps going and keeps trying to do it, you know, uh, always changing, always moving, um, but is sort of the unsung hero that uh, I think is the person, you know, if I knew something like, like a think of a name that you know you wouldn't know them because they're not like famous right but um those people i think have a ton more to learn from because they've had lots of challenges and had and tried to overcome them and try different things um they'd be much more interesting to see on tv and their life lessons but you never will because they never had that one big breakout hit where they and many people will tell you like you know i, t I ask entrepreneurs all the time who sold companies tell me about your story like about the company that, that bought you, how they find you, how this all work. And probably nine times out of 10, it's always luck. I met a guy who knew someone who thought we were doing something cool, introduced me to somebody, and they said, we want to buy your company. Um, and so they always say, like, we got lucky. All the time, they say that, right? So when you see the high-profile people, they'll a lot of times tell you, like, look, we just got really lucky. We were in the right place, right time, found the right thing. You know, so um, I'm interested in people that haven't, like, got lucky, but still keep, you know, keep at it every day. So what I'm taking from what you just said is that one of the things you admire in entrepreneurship is tenacity. The people who just, you know, they grab a hold and they keep going and they finish one deal and they go to another deal and they're not necessarily chasing the fame. I mean, hopefully they're making, you know, a good living so that they can support themselves, but they're not chasing the fame. They're chasing sort of the love of creation and running and growing. Was that letter T in our book, Tom? 
Yes, actually, Brian and I wrote a book together, and you should go right now over to Amazon and check it out. It's called The ABCs of Entrepreneurs. And uh, I don't know if T was tenacity or not. I don't have a copy sitting here. I know that in one of my ABCs book, T is tenacity, but I do repeat letters sometimes. So, uh, But go check out The ABCs of Entrepreneurs. You can just Google Brian Manel on Amazon. I believe that's your only book. It is. So if you Google Brian Manel on Amazon, you're going to find the ABCs of entrepreneurs. I highly recommend it, even though I, I co-wrote it. So, you know, talking about sort of that that tenacity of entrepreneurs and, and going out and, and really just sort of plotting along and getting things done and then continuously having successes, that's really the way I would describe you. I mean, you took a company public, but you've started other companies that you've sold. You've started a couple companies where you've looked at the market and said, yeah, that's not it. And you've closed them down, which I think is a really admirable trait because a lot of people will just... Just, you know, beat the horse until it's beyond dead. What is it about entrepreneurs uh, who can actually pivot and walk? And P is for pivot in our book. That I do know. Uh, who, what is it about entrepreneurs that can pivot and go on to the next project? What is that little secret sauce? Um, you know, I think it's um, – I, I was reading this great – I met this author during South by Southwest um, who wrote this book. And it was uh, – she interviewed very successful people who had scaled – massive businesses before and figured out what is it that's common about all these people. And one of those things to your point was, um, what she called an OODA loop, which I think it's OODA, which I believe stands for observe, um, orient, uh, decide, and then act. Right. So you're constantly, you know, observing what's going on, right. What's happening around you, um, orienting yourself and your worldview to what you're seeing and observing, uh, making a decision about what you're going to do different based on what you saw. And then, you know, acting on that. And then it goes, starts again, right. Start over back at the O. Absolutely. So, um, I think it's people who, um, and that it's great now to maybe have like a name for it, right. To be able to like, you know, have a label and call it the OODA loop. Right. So, um, you know, she'd found in her research that people who had highly skilled, one of these like seven key traits was having a very rapid uh, OODA loop and a, and a belief in that as a process. I'm going to have to go check that out because that kind of relates into some stuff that I'm working on. And my new program that I'm speaking about is called the Paradox of Potential. And I've interviewed a couple hundred people now. And what I've found is that, especially like with entrepreneurs, but I've been interviewing people in all sectors, but entrepreneurs are like this too. When they start a business or when you hire an employee, we think, wow, Becky has so much potential. And then you go look at the results a year or two later. And oftentimes there's a gap between potential and results. And so the questions I've been asking people is why with themselves or with their employees, why is there a gap? Why is there this paradox around potential? Shouldn't potential mean if we have potential, we should be able to act on it? And I like the idea of that sort of, you know, observation, you know, what was it? Observation, orient, decide and act. I like that because that's sort of one of the extra paths that can kind of go across that gap because that's something a lot of people struggle with. And you've seen a lot of entrepreneurs in your lifetime and through your work with Capital Factory and other consulting that you've done, you've seen people who you think, wow, they've got potential. And then they just fall off the face of the earth and and crater. So why do you think there's a gap between potential and results? Um, I mean, everybody has potential, right? Um, how do you realize it, right? So it's you know, all those uh, key traits that um, are sometimes uncomfortable, right? It's, the, it's tenacity. It's um, uh, you know sometimes willingness to sacrifice a long you know short term gain for long term gain, right? So it's um, it's just all those sort of key traits that um, are just sort of difficult to measure, difficult to have, you know to have. You know, it's it's tricky. You know, this is why I do technology, Tom, not HR. 
<laughs> so what advice do you have for someone who has listened for the last half hour and they think, I'm inspired. I, I, I totally want to be an observer. I want to find trends. I want to get involved. I want to start something of my own. What advice do you have for the listener of the show who is like, yeah, I, I want to be that entrepreneur? I'd say probably a key thing is be willing to change your core beliefs. So you might start out thinking, hey, this would be a great service or product for this market, and I'm going to go create this and get people to do it. Um, be willing to change based on what you discover, what you find, what you hear, um, because uh, you know the uh, most successful folks do have that that OODA loop, and that's the way you iterate and get to success. I you know every I have to say. You know, even in Capital Factory, all the early stage companies we see when they're very, very starting, uh, almost every single one ends up doing something pretty different than what they set out to do initially. But it's because they discovered a vein of gold somewhere that they didn't think was there, or the 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 area they were mining didn't turn out to pan out to have what they thought it had. But while they were searching, they found some things that did, right? And they were willing to change their mindset and change what they were out doing. So always be willing to change. Don't stick to your uh, closely held beliefs, no matter what they are. That's awesome. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining us for episode 300 and for being a guest here and coming back on the cool things entrepreneurs do. If people want to find you, how do they do that? Um, you know, you can find me on Twitter at BMNL. Um, that's B-M-E-N-E-L-L. Um, and, um, you know, that's uh, that's probably the biggest place I'm in the social sphere. And uh, I do look forward to coming back on the show and doing number 1,000. There you go. We'll have you back 700 more episodes from now. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. As I say every time, if it wasn't for the listeners, we wouldn't have a show. You can follow us on Facebook at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. You can jump over to Twitter and that is at Cool Podcast. And you can always get involved with my group coaching mastermind, which is at PotentialMastermind.com. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Brian. But in the meantime... Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.